Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. All right, so Les and Keith, last time we were talking about... um, in discipleship, and we had several parts, we were talking about a three-thirds process. The last time was a look back, mm-hmm. and today we're going to continue that discussion as we talk about a look up. So what is a look up, and what are the components of that? So look up is primarily, uh, the, the idea behind it is every day we need a feed. Um, every time we gather, we need to, to feed, and that, that, that ingesting uh, the the spiritual food that we need is the word of God. And so that's what look up is. It's, it's taking in uh, the food of the word of God. It is our daily bread. It is what gives us sustenance uh, for our, our spiritual life. And so it, it has its own section. It deserves its own section. Um, and it's, it's critical that when people the people of God gather together, that they gather around the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, the Word of God is is written, composed by God himself, himself, breathed out by the Holy Spirit through the authors of Scripture, so that it is um, perfect for everything that we need for life and godliness and the work of the ministry. Um, it's got everything that we need in it. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's why we've got to have this section devoted to that. Right. Now, what we do with it is, is what I want to talk about today, uh, because it's not just simply right. the reading or um, the preaching, but it's making sure, as it talks about in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, where it, this is where we get Scripture is God-breathed um, and profitable for teaching Reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Mm. So the equipping of God's people uh, to be men and women of God, mm. yeah, able to do this this good work, right? That comes from the Word of God, because mm. God's a communicating God. Yeah, he speaks. He spoke creation into existence, so he talks. He speaks. He decrees, and because he speaks language, our words, all of that are 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 coming from God. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. our language is a piece of the image of God, and so when we get scripture that claims God has spoken, and claims to record what He has spoken. Then, then there has to be at some metaphysical and yeah. some physical component. This is there's a supernatural component to these words we see sitting in yeah. front of us and are, are vital to our discipleship. And I, I think if we think of, you can kind of think of the landscape of our mind uh, being completely limited by the vocabulary of our language, right? Yeah. That's, that's Noam Chomsky's brilliant uh, assessment is you can only think as far as your language takes you. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the boundaries of your thinking. Um, and the, the boundaries of our thinking should be the unlimited 
boundaries of the vastness of, of the worldview that we see in the Word of God. That should be what defines the landscape um, of our minds. And that transformation of our minds has to occur as we, we mm-hmm. wash ourselves continuously with the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's rich. So, the Word of God, the look up. So how do we do this? How do we look up and, and in incorporation? We're not just looking into the sky, right? We're not looking at trees and going, oh, the Word of God. Yeah. Or a bird flew by. How beautiful. You know, I see something of God. We're talking about something more specific, right? Yeah, or, or if I felt the other day, I got this impression in my mind that mm. your issue is this. Or, you know, you just we just went through care and share and people are sharing. and All sorts of things are passing through people's minds. And, and those things can unbridled. Mm. People, we can come up with all sorts of crazy ideas. Yeah, we can prophesy to ourselves right. and out of our own mind, even yeah. the prophets. Well, we've said, all right. had people say, you know, right. I, I feel like the Lord wants me to do this, and it's like, and that is directly right. contrary to what the Bible says. Right. So yeah, so we have to. We're, we're bound by God's words. Mm. Mm. I I, I want to say yes, we are bound by God's words, but we are unleashed by God's words. Mm. Yeah, sure. So I think we need to hold both of those in tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, as I look at, at the, the world that I see in these pages, I am blown away by the vastness of it, mm-hmm. that I am invited to, to see things beyond kind of my micro-scale uh, way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's one thing that I think when people, when people come and look at scripture merely as, um, as boundaries that I think we're missing the vastness (laughs) of, of the, of, of the world of, of the pages of scripture, a a God who has fully loved and fully revealed, uh, everything that we need, um, and invited us to, to view the world through, uh, the vastness of his character. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And I, I just, I love it. Right. Um, but that's even, that's even something to, to discuss even outside of this conversation is w- what are the boundaries of Scripture? What do they unleash? It, and you're talking, I heard Doctors Without Borders, and it's truth without boundaries. Yeah. But that, that feels contradictory or paradoxical, <laughs> but it's truth maybe dictating boundaries that aren't really universal boundaries we're talking about the universe which is infinite but yeah, god yeah. created it right and therefore since he created infinity somewhere inside of that there are borders but we don't know them and see them yes and, and he is that border yes now my mind is officially blown i'm not sure what <laughs> good i'm gonna be by that concept uh, wow so okay uh Rain back that squirrel, get that squirrel out of that tree, get that rabbit out of uh, the bushes. How do we practice a look up? So the way we would practice a look up is it's really simple. Uh, it's just three simple questions. And so we would come to a passage of scripture, a verse, uh, a story, and we would just ask three questions. What does it say? What does it teach us about God and his relationship to people? And what do we need to obey? 
from this passage, from from this this verse specifically. Uh, <clears throat> each one of those is critical, uh, and e- and the the skills in each one need to be grown, uh, and each one contributes to our transformation as a disciple, to to grow in our reflection of the living God, um, of our Savior Jesus. But those are but it's just that simple. So what does it say? What does it teach us about God and his relationship to people? And what do we need to do to obey? So let's take that sure. Take that first one. Yeah. So when you talk about what does it say, how is how are we distinguishing um because it's easy for me to go from what it says to what it means. And uh-huh. it's hard it's hard for me sometimes. I, I skip the meaning. I, I, I can go straight to meaning without ever asking the question, what does it say? So how is what does it say different from what does it mean? So the first way that you make sure that you are following that first question is you read it out loud. Okay, mm-hmm. so... The public reading of the Word of God is we've got two books of the Bible that are dedicated to just the public reading of the Word of God. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah have these instances in the middle of them where they built up a huge platform and the priest Ezra goes up to the top and just reads the Word over the people. And the people are just completely devastated. Because the word was read out loud to them, and they realized, oh my goodness, what have right. we done, or what have we failed to do? Right. And so I, there is power simply in the reading of the word of God, the speaking of the word of God out loud as it goes into the, the ears, uh, the physical and spiritual ears of the word of God. So that's the first thing, is just read it. Hmm. Read it out loud. Take the time. You know, if you've got 42 verses of a chapter of Genesis, read them all out loud. Take the time. It's worth it. It's God's word. That's the first thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the second thing about what does it say is once you've heard the words of God, speaking them back without and slowing yourself down enough to say the words back without interpretation. We're so quick to add interpretation to the words of God. I skip right to it. Like, I, I, I can know. skip past. Like, I, I need to get through this because there are homiletical yes. implications to this. Like, right. you start thinking, man, I got to make this make sense. Or, you know, what in the world are people going to think if they read about yeah. the defiling of Dinah and I don't make some sense out of that? Yeah. Right? Well, even your own personal questions. I mean, you're reading it and you read a sentence and you go, what in the world? And you tend, you're, you're, Right. You have a tendency to stop for a second and start. Like you, you, if you've read through the Bible in a year, or if you tried to read through the Bible in a year, you know these times where you need to get through two chapters of Isaiah. You read your eight verses in, and next thing you know, it's been thirty minutes, and you're going, "I gotta get this. I, gotta, I just need to read it. I just need to read it. You know, let the Lord just do it every. Single, I don't have to dissect every and yeah. understand every single word yet. Right? You know, yeah. Not right now. Not right. for yeah. this. Mm. Wow. But. It, what what we're trying to do here, remember that this is a disciple this is a discipleship process mm. that we're talking about. So when we get to what does it say, what are the basic spiritual disciplines that we're trying to 
reinforce the reading of the Word of God, the um, meditation on the Word of God, and the memorization of the Word of God. Those are three basic disciplines that we're trying to make sure that people have as part of the rhythms of their life. And so this question makes sure that we don't miss those basic disciplines, that we do it corporately so that we're in a sense, right now we, we value these things. So we are dedicating time in our gathering together in the name of Jesus to listen to the words of Jesus. Mm. And to read, meditate, and memorize. Huge. Let's take a break. We'll come back in just a minute. Okay, we're back, and uh, we are still in the second of three-thirds, and we're talking about what does it say, right? And so in doing that, asking that question, we want to be able to read, to meditate on, and memorize the Scriptures. Yeah. So where do we go from there? So just on this one, this one is a really good one. Um, I find when I'm leading a group, I love it when I've got kids in there, because the kids are really good at this. So when you, when you read a story, you know, from the Gospel of Mark or whatever, say you're going, you've got a small group and you're going through Mark, and you read a, sh- a story, and then you say, all right, kids, what does this say? They're not, they're not trying to automatically jump to interpretation mm-hmm. and application. They're just like, they just tell you the story. This is what the story said. Mm-hmm. And it makes the adults in the room kind of slow down and actually get on the right page. So that they're actually taking in the Word of God and they're listening to a child uh, speak back the Word of God in simple words. And it, I notice that you actually watch the adults in the room engage the text of the Scripture far deeper, just because the kids are able to do that first part much easier without jumping on down mm-hmm. the line. And that kid uh, is memorizing the Word, and it's going to be in their heart, and they'll, they'll be able to meditate on it. Um, through the rest of the week. Hmm. Wow. So that, that's what we're trying to do when we, when we slow down. Right. To say, what does it say? Right. What, Les, what do you say to the person out there who's going, man, I just can't memorize it. I try to memorize it, and I can't remember my dad struggling with that, telling me, you know, I just I can't do that. That's not something I can do. That's, that's a great question. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely natural aptitudes. Uh, but uh, memory is a muscle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a mental muscle, and it it just requires like I think often we'll try and jump into anything, and we'll we'll say I'm gonna I'm gonna go after it, and then we we try to do we try to do an hour workout, yeah. you know, and we've we've gone from couch potato to an hour workout, and we try to do that mentally too. So I would. Um, I would say for somebody who has some scripture in their background, just start re-memorizing scripture that you had in the past. So you're just refreshing what's already in there. I would, I would say that would be the first step. Uh, for somebody who's never memorized any scripture, I would say uh, pick some, um, some simple uh, verses out of James uh, or out of um, maybe out of, a couple out of the Sermon on the Mount. There's, those are simpler passages to memorize. I would not jump into memorizing a Pauline sentence. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, he likes to have three, four verses. Yeah. Multiple caveats and sub clauses. And you try and diagram those sentences and you're going nuts. So, um, yeah, I think those are that that's what I would do. Uh, there's a, there's a simplicity to the structure and languages in, in, in those, um, yeah. in those passages and just, mm-hmm. just, uh, how do you memorize? Um, there's great apps out mm-hmm. there that can help you these days with, with that process that kind of gamify it, yeah, make it fun. Uh, make it yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, I've always, uh, memorizing when i try to memorize a verse it is much more difficult than if i learn the narrative mm-hmm. by knowing the narrative the verse almost comes this seems and i might be the only person that learns this way mm-hmm. but once i know the narrative i get the gist the story is there and i know the story and then yeah. i can recall yeah. specifics a lot easier than if i'm just trying to go okay i need to get that verse down yes but when i know the narrative i the it, it's almost counterintuitive. The verse, boom! I know it. It's there, without and even trying. Peg to hang on, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah that helps. And, me and that is that is important. That's an important step in memorization. Is actually whether it's a verse or a whole passage. Right. Is that you're able to say with your own words what it means mm-hmm. when you know the meaning? Then you can go back and memorize the specific ver- word for words, word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Start combing through. Yeah. So the individual words, and, and that moves us to that second. Okay, what does it say? And then what does it mean? <clears throat> or so the the what does it mean, or what does it teach us about right. God and His relationship to people gets us to the heart of the meaning. Uh, we know from from Luke twenty four mm-hmm. um, that all Scripture has as its meaning something very specific. Right. Um, very, very, very specific. Very specific. Yeah. Um, so this is Jesus in his his walk to Emmaus. Um, so he's he's the resurrected Savior. He's come back and he's appears beside these two guys, and they're they're walking roughly a three hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and he walks with them, and he they're like. Yeah, he, they don't recognize him. He keeps them from recognizing him. And then he said, um, yeah, so they, they're in this conversation about Jesus, and Jesus takes them through all of Scripture, and he, this is verse 27 of chapter Luke chapter 24, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Um, would you like to be in that room? Uh, I would for, love for that, that conversation. Class. That, that would be my favorite hike <laughs> ever. <laughs> that would be an amazing <laughs> hike. Yes. I love that he did it on a hike. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's holy to hike. It is. We know this. It is. That's right. Uh, and it, I think that the thing, the response that mm. they have, did our hearts not burn within us when he talked to us on the road and when he yeah. opened to us the scriptures? And so they're, they, they can't help themselves, but they got to run back mm-hmm. the yeah. three hours back yeah, right. and, and share what they learned 
with the other disciples. Uh, so I, I think when we approach Scripture from this perspective, our hearts will burn within us mm. as we come to the Word of God. It won't be a dry thing right. that tastes like ash in our mouth. Right. What does the Scripture teach us about Jesus um, as the second person of the Trinity, and how does it shape us in terms of our relationship to Him? That's, that's how we need to approach the Word of God, right. from that, um, that meta-narrative yeah. uh, perspective. What is the grand story of the Word of God? And I I think it's important that early on in discipleship that we we give people a basic framework Mm -hmm. of that grand story, um, that meta-narrative of the Word of God. It 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 prevents us from going down unnecessary trails of scholarship even, not to to poo-poo on scholarship. (laughs) I mean, we all were educated in, in that world, but the truth of the matter is a historical critical approach to the text is rather irrelevant to Jesus' intent. I mean, if Jesus is who he said he is, and if what he said is true, then my historical critical approach is maybe 10th on the list of most important things in <laughs> mm. coming to the text. Yeah. And, and even apologetics, my, my purpose in the text isn't to prove its validity. It's to see Jesus as the eternal Son of God and his intent in giving that person the inspiration or inspiring them to write that down, right? That, mm-hmm. that changes everything. It does. It's, it's a massive shift. And it, it brings us back to um, what we started this whole thing it, with, is right, is at its core, discipleship is relationship. Mm-hmm. So we're coming back to that as the core of, when we come to the Word of God, it is about God, who is God, and how does He relate to us, and how do we relate to Him. Mm-hmm. And because God relates to me and God relates to you, we have a way of relating to each other that must reference the only reference point that there is, which is God Himself. Yeah. And so that that trans, translates across all disciplines, so that whether we're talking about politics and the image of God bears deeply in the midst of any political debate that we might have. It, it, whether or not we decide to follow government protocols of when we reopen services or when we do this or when we do that, we have to come back to what, what does the, the Word of God teach us about our relationship with him, our relationship with each other, because each of us is created in his image. Right, right. That changes our ethic. It does. I mean, it, 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 le- it becomes less about practices, like it, it, what works, not practices, what works, but what's, what's most Godward for everybody? What is yeah. most um, appropriate for image bearers of God and being connected to the Lord in relationship because I can't be connected yeah. to the Lord without you. I can't be isolated. So my connection to the Lord is us together connected mm-hmm. to the Lord. Right. And therefore there's a there's a give and take in all of that for each other. So we're and, learning <laughs> the text is pointing us to God and each other and our relationship reconnected to him. And I think that's that's something so even as we're thinking about 
uh, how do I... So if you think you can also summarize, as Jesus did, not only is all of Scripture about him, and he is the center, uh, and as, as the second of the person of the Trinity that enacted uh, the, our salvation, um, you know, originated from the Father, enacted by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit, all of those, those activity words about our salvation are all related to the relational God, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to us, <clears throat> we relate to him, and he, in pointing out what does the scripture mean, he says the summary of the law and prophets is what? Love God with every aspect of your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two commandments are interrelated. So the way I love you best is I help you love God more. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not a small thing. Uh, it's, it's absolutely... And that, that actually tells us what's most important for us in our relationship with believers and unbelievers. Mm. Right? right. With, with an unbeliever, the most important thing I can do in my relationship with my, un, with my unbelieving neighbor, with... Uh, you know, right. somebody in a shop or whatever is I need to relate to them in such a way that today they are exposed to the love of God and they recognize that they need to have that relationship restored. Yeah. As primary. As Cause, primary. Because all, all manner of even situations today dealing with folks who are dealing with hurt, hurt kids in our, our city and Keith, you you say it. This is you pound you pound the table on this one. Is you help that kid by, or that parent by helping them to know God. Yeah. Because knowing God, then there is a framework for reconciliation of relationships and fixing all manner of things. Yeah, right? and and knowing a right view of God. Yeah. Because there's all sorts of ideas about God. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. Their their brothers struggling and their brothers tapped into some alcohol uh, alcoholics anonymous teachings which is helping him in his struggle but you know that view of god is not he's not he's not ta- he's tapping into a power that's greater than him right. yes yeah but he's not tapping into yahweh right yes he's right. not tapping into the creator god of the universe that we can only really know right like specifically right because of what's in the scriptures yeah that's right we're, we're talking about, you know, this second component of the second third is what does it teach us about God and man? That that inevitably brings up the, the discipline of theology, right? Because yes. who is this God, right? That is, is this exactly. A does he have characteristics that are real? And right. Is he a real entity with... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, does, does, does he have... Are there... Um, yeah, can we think about him anyway, yeah. any way we want? The answer is no. No. He's, he's a real... Entity out there, yeah, and there's a real battle for the identity of who God is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the Bible tells us the God of this world, little G God, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Right. So there's a deceptive component, and even Paul to the Corinthians, and no wonder these people preach like this because they come disguised as angels of light. So there's a there's who, what deity, right? So we're talking theology. We don't have to be John Frame or or, <laughs> or Wayne Grudem, but we have a Bible, and we. Yeah, there's the knowledge, the right knowledge of God in this. Like it can't right. just be 
my preference is disguised as Christian theology. I, I jokingly call it, call it idolatry with a Christian t-shirt. That's my <laughs> language. So I take my little idol, put a yeah. Jesus t-shirt on top of that idol, which is a really good uh, Southern example of what I grew up in. Yeah. It's, it's a good little G-God mm-hmm. with a Christian t-shirt mm-hmm. on it. And, and I call it Jesus. So theology. What does it teach us about God and man? I'm pretty passionate about this. So what do we do with that? That's because you're a seminary guy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the only, only reason. guys like you and yeah. are interested in this kind of thing. Yeah, that's nobody right. else has to worry about theology. Nobody else has to worry about theology. Just, you know. yeah. <laughs> it's so critical that in discipleship we ask this question because, number one, I think, I think what, what our culture often does is it leaves this question to the professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when, my heart. Yeah, and when we do too. that, we rob people of actually digging into how deeply God loves them, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to really recognizing those aspects of, of coming to the Word of God that, that let us know our Savior, yeah. and recognize how deep this relational love is, mm-hmm. um, that this God has done these things for us. Mm-hmm. And... When we do these things, or when we when we um, think these thoughts, then we grieve him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, asking this question, and here's here's the key. Here's the key for guys like us. Be quiet, and let the disciple that you're discipling go through some reps, because this is also. Uh, a spiritual muscle. Right. Theologizing is a spiritual muscle. Yeah. And rightly dividing the word of truth is a spiritual muscle. And if we just do it for them, then we look like the guy on the exercise video yeah. that's ripped and can do, right. you know, like one one arm push ups like nobody's business. And then you try to do one in your in your house, and you're like falling on your face, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. So. This is where it is. These spiritual muscles need to. We need. We need to slow down mm. and allow people and be uncomfortable. Be okay with the discomfort of quiet. Yeah. In the group that we're leading, and let the one that we're discipling begin to falter, yeah. and then we can gently, because we have um, ourselves been there. And quietly and kindly ask questions to say, that's a good thought, but what about this? And make sure that we're making them not pull thoughts from all over the place, but what, is, what does this passage say? Mm-hmm. So right. that they're, they're not, you know, talking about what they read on the front page of the newspaper or um, what this talking head said or what this... Yeah. Um, this podcast said, but let's, let's, what, what does this say? Because this passage, this verse is spoken by the word of God. It's by by the spirit of God. It's the words of God spoken to you and you're the person of God. And you have that same Holy spirit who breathed these words out. He's in you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sitting in a, sitting in a room uh, in a, in another country with some, uh, new believers uh, and and 
just randomly decide they want to ask me questions. And this one brother, new believer, asked, uh, now that he's a Christian, what does he do with his two unbelieving wives? And uh, and and so, you know, I, my mind starts racing on how do I answer this question? And, and I truly believe it was the Holy Spirit that that just in my soul said, see what the Word says. And he has a Bible in a language he can read, multilingual. I'm unilingual. So he, he's multilingual and had a Bible in one of the languages he could, not educated, but multilingual. And he had a Bible in one of those languages he could read and, and ask him to read the passage. Several passages that was that was coming to mind from Genesis one and two, you know, male and female in his image, God marries, he's the author, and first Corinthians seven, and these passages come to mind. And I asked him, What does what does God say? And he he concluded, and we had a longer conversation after he concluded that God wanted him to love both of his wives and see that they came to Jesus in saving faith. That's an uncomfortable answer for us, oh, yeah. right? But for him, is it appropriate to put one wife away? And and so his theology is now being shaped on who is God, right. who are we, and how do we live this out in the circumstance? And 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 I'm thankful that I didn't just try to answer mm-hmm. his question, but by God's grace, said, "What does the Bible say? And how is He telling you yeah. to make use of it right now?" And so his theology is being shaped from the scriptures as they speak to him where he's at. I think when we when we look at the daily corporate time in the word of the church in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to that daily time and every single day as they gathered in homes, I think we can see how quickly that community could grow into maturity mm-hmm. of understanding and rightly understanding the word of God and, um, and his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's why the more, I mean, we, we break it down to like, you know, maybe once a week. Uh, but what if we were daily gathering and giving people opportunity to, to go through a passage every single day and get those reps with rightly understanding the word of God? Then, then that second question, we actually wouldn't have to worry that much. Right. Um, that when they get to, um, when we have to leave them and we're, it's time to multiply the group or whatever, we're going to leave behind spiritual immaturity. Or when they're discipling somebody in the next spiritual generation below us, where they've led people to faith and they're discipling them, right? then they're actually doing it well. And they know enough if they've got something that doesn't, that they've got questions on, then they come back and they say, I'm really stuck on this. Right. And we can we can bring people back to the word, yeah. and that's I think that's that that's important. Uh, what you did in that instance was you didn't you didn't spoon feed pre digested theology, right? Right. You you said I am in trust. I trust that the Holy Spirit is in you, right? My former Muslim brother or whatever. Um, I'm not sure where where you were, but um, so. Let me give you the word, right? And let you. I'm I'm going to stay here so that we don't make sure we make sure we don't go off the rails and like somehow you interpret that uh, from the 
from the patriarchs, it's okay to go for a couple more. <laughs> right. um, you know, add to your add to well, your, and and two don't even need to be house. wives. They could they could be the the, the servants of those wives, right? Like yeah. we can get some really funky stuff because yeah. like, it's right here. It is like right, here right here in here, the right? mess of of right. human relationship. That's, right. Right. In all of its glory I'm displayed on the pages of Scripture. You're assuming that he was talking to somebody in a foreign country. It's probably in South Rome somewhere. <laughs> or Lindale. Maybe Silver Creek. The foreign country yeah, of Silver that's right. Creek. Yeah. Right. That's highly it, possible. It was well, his yeah. neighbor in the neighborhood where he grew up that's got two wives down there. I don't know. That's right. That's right. Oh, that Lord. that that probably is really happening. That's right. That's good. All right. So we're going to get short on time. So yeah, I don't sure. want to just unnecessarily rush it, but I do want to deal with that last part. How do we make application? What do we do with the passage? So what does it say? What does it teach us about God and man? We're dealing with some theology. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, how do we make application? So making application is just simply asking, given that we've gone through this passage, what is there for us to obey? And, and we can ask second questions from that. Is there something to repent from? Either uh, wrong thinking or wrong action mm-hmm. or wrong attitudes. So those are three areas of repentance. Uh, wrong thinking, wrong action, and wrong attitudes. What are, the, what are the parts of my heart that aren't aligned with the correct motives that I ought to have given that I'm reflecting the character of of Christ uh, is that is that last question? Nice. So that that would be a way of saying of kind of what is there? What's the obedience point here? Uh, because those are parts of that transformation: the transformation of the mind, the transformation of the affections, and the transformation of the will are all are all there. Right. Um, so we're talking about the transformative component. All of these components are being changed; they're being shifted because of the work of the gospel. And so it's addressing how are you thinking. Which is a theological question, right? Yeah. It's not just a practical question. It's what do I think about God? How is my thought on God shifted at this moment? Yeah. And then how am I acting on yeah. that thought? Yeah, and there's nothing. I think it's um, for, for people like me who grew up in the church and we've been exposed to the scriptures a lot, um, not necessarily in a, in a positive way, but it's just been there. You know, you've right. been to Sunday school and you've, been, you've done all these things over the years. So you have this, you have this sense that you know what the Bible says. Right. Where really you know very general stories, and for me anyway, and I didn't I didn't really know what the Bible said, mm. and so I had these ideas that were almost sacred to me. Right. That when mm. I would hear someone else um, sort of build a case against it, I would just sort of reject it out of hand. It's just like that's mm. not true, right? And one of the things that that the Lord helped, one of the things that I was helped in in as I began to study the scriptures, realizing that there are things I think are true about the faith that are completely mm-hmm. not true. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. it's a preference or, or whatever. It's not that it's not true. It's just not something that's a mandate or, or whatever. So to come to the Scriptures with this, this idea that um, let the Scripture define reality for me instead of me having these notions like mm. a, a thousand different things, whether we're talking about coming together as a church, you know, am I going yeah. to go with yeah. what the governor says? Am I not going to go with what the governor says? Really... When I when I think I've come to a conclusion on that, I should be able to build that on a biblical ethic somehow. Right. And it's never wrong for someone to say to me, "Man, what's your like biblically? Why do you think that's the thing we should do?" Right. Right. I ought to not be offended by that question, 
Right. And I ought to be able to compose some kind of basic idea about, well, right. man, based on what the, what the big picture of the Scripture says and based on the few of these, these verses that I remember, I think this is the right thing for us to do. Yeah. But if I ever find myself going, you know, I don't know what the Bible says about that. <laughs> right. But, man, this is, this is it. Right. That's, that's really shaky ground. It is shaky yeah. ground. And um, I can find myself doing that. I yeah. can, I, you know, in conversation with others, I find others doing that. But, you know, we should be able to sort of yeah. build up our worldview on a particular ethical issue or moral yeah. issue. I ought to bring some Bible to bear on that, on that point. Yeah. Even if there's not a chapter and verse that explicitly address situations, yeah. our knowledge of who God is as He's revealed in Scripture should be able to, we should be able to rock solid foundation yes. on, here's who God is. And, and because he's this, then I, I, I got I to make a decision here, and I, I kind of got to go this way yeah. because of who he is, whether it's explicitly stated or not. We should be. We have to be able to do that as and Christians. That's, that's really ultimately what we're trying to do. I mean, right. the, the verses that say, you know, there, there are verses in Scripture that are, don't murder. I mean, we don't right. have to, like, figure that one out, right? Yeah. But there's thousands of other decisions that we make in our life that have impact on us, like right. when, whether it's how we're going to approach dating. Right. Our children are going to approach dating. All these things that are just nuanced. Right. That's the essence of what we're trying to get at with theology. It's like, look, understand God, understand, and then begin to make these applications right. from a hundred different places in the Scripture. That's why biblical right. theology, which, you know, people may not know what that means. It's a scary word, but it's so helpful. Right. They're, you know, they're all sorts of useful. Uh, Jim Hamilton wrote this tiny little book, What is Biblical Theology? It's very easy to read great book to help people understand oh so this is how we see Jesus connecting all these pieces for these guys and they knew the word they knew the scriptures right but they had never put it together the way mm-hmm. that he put it together like the connections were made in a way that they were like our hearts are burning with us yes you know somebody might have might have right. come alongside them and said well you already knew these things so yeah, yeah we knew that we knew the nuts and bolts right Jesus built this structure that we've never seen before mm. so it, that really is the heart of you've got to do that work before you can begin to go, okay, what's the ethical decision here that we're going to obey? That's right. That's right. That's the hard and, scaffolding to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, notice how the, the last question is related to the relational nature of the second question. So that's really key, that it become the last question. We don't jump from what does it say all the way to what do I need to obey without going through... Theology is relationship mm. within the Trinity and with the Trinity as we relate to one another. Wow. So anytime we go straight to, it said don't do that, and we skip out on because you're an image bearer mm. and I'm an image bearer of nothing less than the relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we have completely jumped into legalism. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's why we do it in this order. It is critical that we we wrap our minds around what does it say so that we're we're breathing it in and we're owning it. So then we can go in to see how does it reveal. It's it's revelation. How does it reveal or what does it reveal about God and, and and his relationship to us then out of that, that actually becomes the basis of our motivation to be obedient. Right. And, that's and when we have that, that, that proper motivation for obedience, not guilt or shame, which are the tools of the, of the enemy, right. 
then we're actually obeying with right motives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that when we can say, um, don't murder, and then we look at um, the Sermon on the Mount, and it says if you um, insult your brother, uh, then you're committing murder against him in your heart because you're... you're, you're so murder really is offensive because it's, um, it's destroying an image bearer. So my words, when I speak them harshly to my child, to my brother, to my sister, then I'm actually participating in image bearing, image bearer destruction. That's, that's what's at the heart of it. That's just an example. Yeah. So when, I, when I'm calling my my kid an idiot or whatever, um, I'm, I'm actually destroying his, his image bearing. Right. Yeah. And that's, that should grieve me when right. I need to repent of it. Yeah. Our application has to be filtered through the transform relationship. Yes. So through my transform relationship with God, now I have this new ethic of dealing with other people. Yeah. So it's not just from what it says, the application. I mean, I wrestle I wrestle with that personally. That's one of the hiccups in my soul. Mm-hmm. I'm walking a lot of things happen with me in the world when I'm walking the dog. So I'm walking yeah. the dog lamenting my sin because I'm this is clear. This says this and like how am I not going to hell? And 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 just boom, out of the out of nowhere had to be the spirit, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And and filtering through the patience and kindness of the cross and having this moment where God went, I misused the text in that personal moment. I'm sitting here going, this is clear. I, I can't be a Christian. There's no way. <laughs> and then, and, and that framework, and I, I wasn't thinking about this framework. I mean, this wasn't going, gosh, it, boom, boom, boom. It was the Lord intervening and going, no, 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 no. Here's who I am. Here's who you yeah. are. Like, Whoa. That's that, and it personally transformative, continue, continuing to grow. Yeah. I'm not done yet, right? I'm still being worked on, and and so you, the filtering through the relationship is massive, particularly if you have a bent toward personal uh, legalism. You yeah, know, and, which and, I do. And self condemnation. Yeah, um, because then we're there is no condemnation for those who are now in Jesus Christ, right? right. There's none. Right. right. <laughs> so right. why am I jumping in and, and yeah. doing this to myself? Yeah. Abusing uh, the text of Scripture, like clearly yeah. abusing the text yeah. of Scripture personally, and then going, man, I'm thankful that hadn't worked itself out into corporate abuse. And I mean, <laughs> you know, isn't that the way that every single one of Paul's epistles is written, right? So right. He, he comes in and he, you know, he talks about his relationship with them through a, a Thanksgiving prayer and, and praying over them and, right. and thanking God for them. And then he shifts into theology and then he applies it, but he's reminded them of who they are in Christ first. You are new creations. Mm-hmm. And then he says, now let's talk about that brother in your midst that's committing incest. Right. And then he'll, he'll address the relational components of the Corinthian church that need to be um, reconciled and, mm-hmm. and taken care of, or here's how you need to deal slave and master and, um, you know, employer employee, uh, here's how husbands and wives need to relate to each other. But all those relational components all come after we've rightly understood who we are in relationship to, mm-hmm. to God and obedience flows out of, out of 
out of right understanding. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have to go through not just right understanding, but um, right relationship. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where the right motivation for obedience comes from. Right. That's good. If Paul um, goes through 11 chapters of Romans with all this thick doctrine, and then in 12 goes, now, in light of God's mercy, mm. and in light of everything he's done for us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The man, that's strong language. Yeah, that's right. It's really strong language, but then he, he quickly wraps it up into, and, and, you'll, and what you'll find is this perfect will of God that's good and acceptable and perfect and pleasing. Yeah. And so there's a sense in which we can obey obedience. Piper does this a lot with his you know, Christian hedonism. Right. We can obey, we can, we can like follow, follow after the Lord. It's not wrong necessarily to follow after the Lord in hopes that we'll accrue the goodness that he's going to give to us. Like it's, right. it's okay to long for him and yeah. his goodness. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's until you find it good and right. And, and right. until you are so thankful and you, your affections are, are, are affected or right. affected, whichever one. Right. Then you begin to go, okay, well, I can obey rightly mm. and even benefit from that. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that, um, you know, civilizations become functional and ordered because they follow the Lord. And then they, all these benefits accrue, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that you see, um, you see, a, I mean, I would argue you see a, a Western world that has <clears throat> enjoyed certain benefits because we stand on the shoulders of people who sort of built a, built a society around yeah. um, often their bodies as living sacrifices and they structure things a certain way. Mm, that's right. Sh- uh, grace, continued God's good grace through created means that people are. are yeah instituted long before mm-hmm. us. That's good. So before we run out of time, final thoughts, final words. Les? I, I do need to tell you a story. Uh, and this, this just reveals like what a, a simple process like this um, does in a whole community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's an example. I, I was leading um, in the middle of nowhere, hiked in <clears throat> to do these basic discipleship lessons. I'd come every two weeks and uh, this family had come to faith, uh, and, they, and the, there was the the patriarch had died, and it was kind of run by a matriarch. This woman's like eighty years old. Um, we just call her Mama. Um, and I was um, <clears throat> they had shared with a whole bunch of their neighbors. Um, they had led their neighbors to faith, but there was this whole like you could almost draw a line down the middle of this valley where they lived, and they, they had tried to share with people on that side of the valley, but there was like, but nobody on that side of the valley would listen. And I was just recognizing that maybe one of the issues was that they just had a hardness of heart and an unbelieving um, or ungraciousness towards um, people. So I, I just felt like God was telling me that the next discipleship lesson, and we're only like eight lessons in, to their discipleship. But we've been following this process. What does it say? What does it teach us about God and his relationship to people? And what do we need to do to obey? Mm. They do that every single time, multiple reps of it. I mean, say multiple, but that's eight reps, right? This is the way that we encounter the word of God. And so I share the unbelieving uh, servant story, uh, you know, the, the servant that 
is forgiven everything by the master, like millions and millions of dollars of debt, rather than being sold into slavery to pay it back, him and his whole family. And then he goes out and for a hundred bucks, he throws his his brother in, in jail and shows no mercy to his brother. And so I just, I get through the story, I say it, I make them repeat the story back to me, because um, um, only one person in that whole family of um, 14 people could read. Um, right. And it was an 18-year-old girl who was the only one who'd been able to go to school. Um, but, <clears throat> and I, I share the story and make them repeat it, and everybody in the household repeats it, so they've all got it in their heads. And then uh, Mama, the matriarch, stands up, walks out of the house, walks out of the compound, and over the hill, and she's gone. And I don't even see her the rest of the day that I'm there. I have to go back. I come back a couple of weeks later, and I'm, I'm like, Mama, what happened last time? Did I offend you? Did I, like, you know, um, use the wrong, like, respect terms in your culture or something? <laughs> like, you know, what's going on here? And she said, no, 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 no. I knew the third question already. I knew what I needed to do to obey. You see, over 60 years ago, on the night of my wedding, my neighbor came and stole the cow that had been my bride price, slaughtered it, and fed her whole family with a feast. And I knew it was her. She's never admitted it. And I've never forgiven her. And everyone on my side of the valley was on my side of this <laughs> argument. And everybody on the other side of the valley was on this, the other side of this argument. <clears throat> so I knew what I needed to do. So I went to her house. I've not been to her house since. And I fell down on my face. outside of her house, and I cried out. I said, my sister, my sister, will you please forgive me? And she came out, and she said, what do you mean? I'm the one that stole your cow. It's the first time she ever admitted (laughs) it. And she said, I have held against you so little for so long. When I have been forgiven everything, by God. And the woman said, can you please tell me about this mm. God that has forgiven you everything? Wow. And she shared the gospel with her, with her neighbor. And the neighbor came to faith. And the neighbor said, you've got to share the story of God's kindness with my whole family. And her whole family came to faith. And then the gospel started to grow in that half of the valley. Wow. And that valley is completely transformed to this day. Um, but that was a woman who had spend, spent eight discipleship lessons with this process, understanding what obedience, that any encounter with, a God, with God's word cannot end with just understanding. Mm. It must end with, right, with transformed action. Mm that relate to, to the people around us and the way that we live in the world. Mm. And when she understood that, she was obedient immediately. It was like without hesitation. She was like, I knew that you would teach them, the other people in my family, and that they would get there eventually to what they needed to do, but I already knew. She knew. Wow. That's beautiful. Praise the Lord. Yeah. 
I can't think of a better place to stop and look forward to the third third, which is a look forward. Mm -hmm. Thanks for your time, Les. Absolutely. Appreciate it. It's been a joy. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions that you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.